0: Good morning, evening, and afternoon, everybody. This is Kelly Gaines for the DC Comics News Podcast, episode 76. And I am here today with my wonderful co-host, Brad Phillicky. Hello, everyone. The wonderful Seth Singleton. Why, hello. And our very own Pedia, Steve J. Ray.
1: I like all the comics.
0: <laughs> so we're going to start off with a, a bit of sad news, um... Joel Schumacher, director of um, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, as well as also St. Sel- Elmo's Fire and Phantom of the Opera, um, passed away this week at the age of 80 from cancer. Brad, what was what was your kind of feeling about that?
2: Uh, you know, despite Batman and Robin, he did make a lot of good films. Lost Boys, uh, St. Elmo's Fire, like you had mentioned. So he definitely left uh, very solid body of work and quite frankly from the dc perspective and the batman perspective i always had a weak spot for um uh batman forever uh i always i always enjoyed it um maybe it was jim carrey i i don't know but i always i always always liked it so uh you know it was it was a bummer to hear about that i mean you know it's 2020 the hits keep on coming um yeah it was just uh it's a shame but he did, like I said, he did leave a very impressive body of work and a legacy that uh, he can be proud of. Uh, Seth, what would you think
3: so much there to you know agree with? I mean, clearly a, a great body of work. I I know that he suffered a fair degree of you know derision for the choices made and uh, the ones that he admits were you know influences that. Looking back, he, he would have changed. But you also look at that body of work. You look at the great attempt made with something like St. Ambrose Fire and how well it was executed. Uh, and you know to, to then also see his chops as a director with something like Phantom the Opera. The, this is someone who had a lot of talent. And I loved reading about his process and, and who he learned from and This uh, amazing experience where he was writing and working and just finding his way until he became a director of of note and merit. And I think that's probably the one thing that should always be remembered was something as important as what you described, Brad, which was legacy. And um, I think it's always uh, powerful when you can look at someone's legacy, see the highs and lows, and also know that at the end of it, you know, we should all be so lucky to have a body of work that can be remembered and we can be remembered with. Steve, how about you?
1: Yes, uh, Joel Schumacher, I mean, whatever may be said about Batman and Robin, at least it's watchable. Um, I can, when that movie comes on TV, I will actually happily sit down and watch it. It's fun, it's camp, it's crazy, it's literally two shades removed from Adam West, but uh, with comic book movies alone, it's infinitely more watchable than Superman 4 or Halle Berry's Catwoman movie, so... um, you know, it's, is it fantastic? No. Is it the worst film ever made? Far from it. And just like Brad said, for me, Batman Forever is a very, very underrated film. It's one of my favourite Batman movies. Um, the choices he's made, yeah, people talk about bat nipples or whichever way he went. But we've also got to consider the other films that, that he made. I mean, Flatliners and Lost Boys are two of my favourite films ever. Falling Down is fantastic. His two John Grisham thrillers, The Client and A Time to Kill are superb. So um, when you count all of that against Batman and Robin, which isn't that bad anyway, we've lost a great talent. We've lost a great filmmaker, someone with vision, someone who dared to be different and do something um, original. So I think it's a great loss to the industry and obviously an even bigger loss to his family, friends and co-workers. So I love and respect to all of them and um, listen, I own a few of his films, and I'll happily watch each and every one of them. What did you make of this story, Kelly?
0: Yeah, I have to echo you guys. Um, it, I obviously his body of work is incredible, and I know personally, *Phantom of the Opera* probably stands out as my favorite. Um, and as far as *Batman Forever* and *Batman and Robin* goes, I know now as an adult, I can look at, at especially Batman and Robin and say like huh that nipples that was weird but I, when I saw it as a kid I loved it both of those movies I was so into I had all the toys I was so excited about it I mean it was really a, almost kind of a, a formative part of me actually even getting into Batman um, and I mean it, it came out when I was maybe seven or eight probably so yeah it's I mean He is a really, really talented um, director, and it's unfortunate that he's lost at this point. I think the the entire film industry has definitely lost uh, a bright light. And on top of that, I mean, even if you didn't like Batman and Robin, he's got more films than I or anyone else I know have, you know, that were actually produced. So can't you know can't really throw stones there. Um, yeah, so he he's definitely going to be missed. So, moving into our next part of news, um, the Superman Man of Tomorrow animated movie is coming out on August 23rd, and we got to see a pretty interesting trailer for it. Brad, what would you think?
2: Yeah, the trailer uh, looks kind of cool. It seems like a cool little spin on the early days of Superman. And although I'm not the biggest Lobo fan, um, having him in the animated universe is uh, is kind of cool and, uh, and maybe when i watch this i will find something to like because uh, that might be the closest i'll come to liking the character unless he ends up on the harley quinn animated series at some point because i'm sure at that point i would I, I love him uh but yeah i mean this this uh this looks good and as far as the the bonus features on the the blu-ray they look Pretty impressive, too. A lot of cool featurettes on Martian Manhunter, on Lobo, and we get a look back at Justice League vs. The Fatal Five and some episodes of uh, Superman, the animated series. So I think that this is going to be a pretty good... uh, You can get a lot of value in this package if you pick up the Blu-ray.
3: Seth, what do you think? I can really see uh, everything you were talking about and the value of the the Blu-ray and everything that I loved about the trailer being a, a really nice... Combination. I mean, that was a really gorgeous trailer. The, the art is definitely, and the style, and the, there were a lot of great layers where I just found myself going like, "Oh man, I'm not gonna have enough time to watch this for all the times I want before we get on and talk about it." But it, the immediate impressions were just, you. There was a different tone immediately, and I was really intrigued by it. I liked the really interesting choices for voicing. It, it made me think about the characters differently. I, I loved what you said about Lobo, <laughs> and not going off onto a tangent, but yeah, man, I mean that would be so brilliant if we got him on Harley. Like <laughs> that would be a Lobo I could get behind. And I'm intrigued because we were talking some time back about you know his role on Krypton. And also about his overall, you know, development and and sort of, you know, a time period feeling when it came to him. And how do you make him more relatable and present? And I think this is a fun way of doing that, of reintroducing him. Um, I like the idea, too, that Superman isn't a known entity yet and that we get to see this sort of, you know, take on his putting on the costume. And I almost feel like Lobo is going to be that bully he has to stand up to. And there's some really fun development elements, like when he first arrives and gives that, you know, hey, Kryptonian. And (laughs) you can tell Clark's like, oh, man, this guy knows more about me than I do. I hate it when that happens. So there were some great moments like that that I really loved. I felt like there was just a, a really good style and quality to the writing, what I saw from great art. Uh, what I really you know liked again about the voices and what I'm going to enjoy about this take on the character that they're looking at who he would one day become by taking this look back at him. Yeah, without going on too much of a rant, I pass the mic to Steve. What are your thoughts, my friend?
1: Yeah, some lovely classic design work. It's a million miles away from the previous uh, DC animated movies, which are all based on the new 52 looks. And this is a look I much prefer. He's a much more vintage halfway between the original 1930s, 1940s Superman and the Superman we have today, and that whole origin and the fact we're seeing him from the beginning, Shades of uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel, again, that's something I'm totally behind. I'm with Bad as well, not Big Lobo fan, he was interesting in Krypton, but uh, yeah, it could be a great foil for Superman to face off against an alien with superpowers who's the complete opposite to what he is. And add in a guest appearance from the Martian Manhunter, villains like the Parasite, and yeah, this film looks like it's going to be great. And the special features on that Blu-ray... Ooh, very, very interesting. I'm rubbing my hands together like Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Yep, that could be one I could definitely get behind, liking that. What did you make of it all, Kelly?
0: Yeah, I. This looks really, really good. And um, Seth, I liked what you said about the tone. That this seems to be a very different tone in a sense of what they've released otherwise. I think from the uh, DC animated universe. But it's uh, strangely, with the animation, for some reason, watching it, it reminded me of a mix between Archer and, and Venture Brothers almost. I don't know. I think it was just the, the kind of darker lines around uh, the characters' faces, which isn't a bad thing. I love both of those shows, but it seems like it's just slightly different, but in a way that I kind of like. Um, and yeah, I, I have to echo both, uh, both Brad and Steve. You guys are right. I'm not a big Lobo fan. Um, you know, I, we've talked about before the fact that he just hasn't aged all that well, although if he does end up in the Harley Quinn show, I'm sure we'll like that version of him a lot more. Um, but in any case, he seems like it, when when you think about a character like Superman, especially young Clark Kent, first becoming Superman, um, you know, there, there's this innocence and this just will to do good and kind of a. a naiveness about him and Lobo is a character that has no innocence and doesn't necessarily want to do good and doesn't seem that naive either so I mean he's he's probably the perfect person to put up against that young Superman um and yes like you were saying these featurettes look awesome I am a big featurette person so I will definitely definitely be watching them so moving on to some other interesting news uh, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins has announced that she's hit pause on Wonder Woman 3, for now at least. Um, Brad, what do you think?
2: Uh, well, I think she made a good point in that she wants to make sure that everything that's happened in, in the world over this year, that she's had time to kind of analyze that and put that into the script in in a way. And I think that, that um, that's might be a smart thing. I mean, we don't know what her story idea was, so who knows what she would have had to change or what kind of changed her mind about that. Uh but it did also say in the story that for the most part the story stays the same. So at least on one hand, she probably won't have to start from scratch, which is good. So um you know that that can keep the, you know, that'll help her get started quicker, I guess. And uh, you know, at this point, I'm really more interested in what she has to say about the New Gods, um, because I'm really, I, I'm really enjoying that pro- project coming together. So maybe that gives her more time to focus on that for the moment. So uh, we'll see. But I, I think at the end of the day, she's she's an artist that I trust. So if she feels that she has to rewrite some things, I will take her word for it and trust that it's it's going to be a better
3: movie at the you know in the end uh seth what do you think i completely trust her especially because of what i felt was a defining quote in that story and her saying the plotline we were writing was coming from the place that we were six months ago and and how clearly different time is now how much has transpired in that time and I'm curious because it feels like this might have been a a more modern approach or modern timeline than what we will be getting from Wonder Woman 1984 and the choice to make that pause. Man, if there's one thing I hear more and more, maybe it's just because I get older. Maybe it's because I pay attention to this stuff more because of age or maybe because I've just heard it so many times. I mean... I enjoyed like doing, I played soccer when I was a kid till I blew my knee out too many times. I I did some boxing and I was really lucky enough to get engaged in some fun like Tai Chi and stuff like that. And everybody says, breathe. I don't care if you're throwing a jab. I don't care if you're going through a Tai Chi movement. I don't care if you're lifting weights. I don't care if you're drinking coffee or eating food. (laughs) Breathing suddenly has become this one thing that everyone can unite behind. And how we do it makes this big difference. And she's saying, pause, take a deep breath, take a look around, ask yourself what you were talking about then and what's going on now. And, no, if there's a difference that's where your story should start from how is the world different than it was that that's a really compelling thing that you can approach so perfectly with a great character like diana who's got such a wonderful timeline to explore all of this makes the most sense to me and it also speaks to uh, a certitude you know a confidence from patty jenkins i You know, this is one of those stories where it's like, if I could, I would, like, you know, go and light the torch fires from, like, Lord of the Rings. Like, go, quickly! Light the fires! There's great news! It must be shared. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's that part of me that says, like, this is... I hope everybody who reads this goes, I can do that. And whatever it is that you're doing. Because this is a really smart decision. And I'm going to stop, you know doing my little cheerleader routine because pom-poms will make the recording very staticky and pass the mic to my good friend, Mr. Steve. Tell me your thoughts, buddy.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I really dig what she's saying about how her th- thought process and the way she's looking at the world is completely different now to before the pandemic hit. And that's affected her um, view of every situation, be it in the real world or, or for possible future stories. And, and that's incredible. I mean, let's remember, the Amazons have been around for thousands of years. We don't know exactly how old Diana is. Let's be honest. She's a grown woman when she left uh, for Man's World during World War One, but they aged more slowly than us. She didn't um, get to the age of 30, whatever she looks like in those 30-odd years. It could have been hundreds if not more how many plagues how many diseases has she seen will that have an effect on the storyline when that current plague its present day will the third film even be set in the present day will there be something in between 1984 and i mean the story possibilities are endless and with a director as talented as patty jenkins even though i'm sad it's going to be a little bit longer before we get the amazon film and wonder woman 3 it's for the right reasons again it's letting the artist be the artist and that's something i've always championed and always been behind so yeah smart move Not quite uh, the happiest movie in the world, but I see brilliant things coming from it just because of the way she's thinking. Really, really cool. Uh, Yeah. Kelly, what did you make of it?
0: Yeah, I agree with you guys completely. I think um, it shows, I think like Seth, like you said, a very confident storyteller to be able to say, right now I need to rethink everything that I've been doing and kind of take a new approach or absorb what's going on in the world and write again. Because I think a lot of times in the creative process, one of the hardest things is talking yourself into going back and fixing something that might have been a a cornerstone of the original creation. And we don't necessarily know anything about what that original creation was going to be. So the, the fact that she's taking this time to absorb the world and Put something even better out there just shows what a, a truly brilliant artist she is. And, um, you know, Steve, going off what you were saying about Wonder Woman and possibly having seen pandemics in the past, um, I know Justin, in reading and, and writing about a lot of Wonder Woman lately, one of the things that strikes me about her as a character is this idea that even if it is potentially inconveniencing you or could be. You know, not necessarily the thing you want to do that it is really, really important if you're going to be a good person, if you're going to be a heroic person to put the people around you first sometimes or to if, if there is a yeah. way that you can sacrifice or a way that you can do something that even if it's not necessarily what you want to do, that's going to help others, then that's the heroic thing to do. And I mean, we see Wonder Woman do it all the time with, um, you know, she, she will be the first person if there is a fight to be fought. She's going to be the one sacrificing herself, clearing other people out of the way, making the entire situation safer. So I think she is a really good character to kind of refocus and look back at. I mean, hopefully at some point we'll be looking back at the coronavirus, but she's a really way to refocus and look at or a really good way to refocus and look at that. Um, Yeah, so I'm. Still very excited. Definitely bummed out that it's going to be a little bit longer, but I'm sure it's going to be worth every second of the wait. So, yeah, kudos to Patty Jenkins. She's just consistently knocking it out of the park. And we have some really exciting news. Um, Michael Keaton is in talks to potentially be returning as Batman in the Flash DC multiverse. Uh, Brad, what do you think?
2: This is a very cool idea i think everybody would love to see michael keaton back even if it's in a cameo and to me that's the big question how big of a role is he going to have um it it would seem i mean i I mean i guess it would be possible but it would seem odd to have him play a big role in it but maybe not um because it has to be at least bigger than a cameo if he has to be in talks about it so you know this is definitely intriguing and i think we'd all love him to uh, play Bruce Wayne again, especially now that he's older and we kind of get that Batman Beyond Bruce Wayne vibe uh, somehow work that in there it would just be really really cool, so they could have so much fun with this, so I hope it I hope, uh, you know, this, they're in the, the early stages of the talks, but I hope it works out and that we get to see him be Bruce Wayne again.
3: Uh, Seth, what do you think? Oh man I'm two feet in, I mean like like I'm a little kid and it's a giant puddle you know what I mean? Like, I just want to hop right in. <laughs> Big old splash. Big, huge thing of excitement. That's the first video cassette I remember owning was Batman 89. I remember I got it as like a Christmas present. And I showed it to my very conservative <laughs> Christian parents who were like, this is so violent. This isn't the Batman I remember from the TV show. <laughs> and what's with Jack Nick- it was, It was uh, a... <laughs> defining moment for me and for them and i think so many and and then knowing that after returns that that was really it for so long and then this gradual resurgence you know into birdman and uh so many other fun roles in between i mean to this day his uh what was it um I'm going to lose the name of the movie, and it's one of my wife's favorites, which means I'm going to be really embarrassed when she hears this. It's the uh, (laughs) Jennifer Lopez, George Clooney. He's a thief, and she works for Law and Out of Sight. He plays like a really just annoyingly lovable character. I've been like loving all these moments when we get to see him. So the idea of him coming back now and also bringing – there's like that gravitas that he's earned. In that time away. I felt it in Birdman. I felt it in his more recent roles. I want to see how we can use that and how brilliant. I mean, God, this is such a smart move. This is where I love the fact that you don't have to be stuck when things aren't working well. I love this great phrase. I'm totally stealing it from West Wing. But the saying is that, you know, uh, a football coach once said, the hardest thing in the world is Super Bowl at halftime and saying, what's been getting us here isn't working we're losing we have to throw out everything and start fresh and this is like a bridge you know what i mean like certain parts of the dcu worked some didn't you've got this amazing opportunity to say but that's not what it's limited to let's talk about all these different worlds from a batman beyond to uh a bruce wayne uh, from a different time period from a thomas wayne to consider all the possibilities look at the idea behind flashpoint How big a role he plays, I think, is is important as the story develops and and also what the end all you want that story to be. And then also keep in mind when it comes to building bridges, you want to design it the right way and then not try and pile too much weight on afterwards. Right. So (laughs) I love this idea. I want it to work really well. I know I've been yammering because I'm really excited. I'm I'm hoping this isn't just a lot of caffeine uh, and the fatigue of, you know, like after a workout or something. But Steve... I'm sure you have plenty more to add. I pass, my friend.
1: I lost my mind when Ezra Miller appeared in the <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. Yes. So to have Michael freaking Keaton reprise his role as Batman. This is the Batman that defined the character for a whole new generation. This was not... Adam West, in any way, shape, or form. This was a creature of darkness and a return to Batman as he was created and as he was recreated at the end of the 60s and early 70s. This, for many, is still the ultimate Batman. And while there's lots of funny stories going around, I'm not keen on him being the Flashpoint Batman. I think that role has to go to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. But if they go down the Batman Beyond route, holy cow. Um, To paraphrase Burt Ward, that would be amazing. But regardless, he was amazing as the vulture. His Birdman was clearly an ultimate tribute to the whole Batman mythology. The fact he goes to events and university lectures and says, I'm Batman to this day means that he has got so much love for the character and he was a stand-up comic and a comedian and mainly just a comedic actor before Batman. Batman was his first straight acting role and he's done so much since. Oh, this is beyond exciting for someone who was 1920 and going to the theatre to see Batman 89 six, seven times at least. Again, it was one of my first ever VHS movies Um, to have him back we the only thing that could top this would, would be getting Christopher Reeve back into cameo Superman sadly that's never going to happen but hey who are you i'm keaton he's back and he's bad and he's batman kelly what did you make of this brilliant story
0: yeah i uh i i think that's actually a really interesting point that you'd brought up that that his role as batman was his first straight acting role um because I it, it sounds like he really had to kind of convince people that he was going to be a good Batman, and we're sort of in that
3: same position. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> that sounds like. Mr. Mom, Beetlejuice, those were some tough roles to come away exactly.
1: from. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do, you know, I can it's still do. Johnny Dangerously. Who remembers Johnny oh, Dangerously? God, oh, yeah. God, Dangerously. There's so many lines
3: in that movie I can't even say on this podcast. Right.
1: right. Oh, I can't even. You're far again sneaky bastard. <laughs> You know, Ma had a way of putting things.
3: Yeah, this Lower East Side, it really sucks. (laughs) I mean, there were just beautiful moments like that.
0: (laughs) So you guys would never have pictured him playing Batman, right? Like, that that would have been
1: crazy at the time. It was a shocker. It was a shocker. It really was. uh, He got almost as much negativity as Ben Affleck. He didn't get the internet hate because the internet didn't exist back then, (laughs) but it was a big shocker. Yeah, absolutely. But he killed it. He nailed it.
3: And mostly because in a lot of his roles, he kind of was just this wiry, sort of wild-eyed, you know what I mean? And that didn't fit the Bruce Wayne. But then when he brought those little manic pieces to it, you know, just pretending he's not in, who he says he is, being sort of quirky, you know, hey, uh, you know, go ahead and get that guy a grant, you know, give Knox a grant, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that, that he just made. And you were like, of course, he can be that crazy, as, as Knox then says, because he's a mil- you know, a billionaire. like. When you're rich, you can be sort of quirky, and man, I'm, it, it was a tough sell. But then, what you have to remember too is, one, he sold it, and then two, the mania that happened. Do you remember how many people were getting Batman shaved into their heads?
0: <laughs> I've seen clips of that, but yeah, that's
3: <laughs> you know, that news
1: photos took over the world.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a phenomenon that if we had had the internet at that time, uh, I. I think we would have seen a much different possibility afterwards. I'm, I'm I'm shutting up now, but man, yeah, as soon as you brought up what he was before, I was just remembering, like, I remember his Mr. Mom holding the baby in front of the dryer <laughs> while he's, like, freaked out. <laughs> I remember <you> know?
0: that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right? And then him as Beetlejuice, I mean, wow, what a stretch. Of, I mean, he he's clearly brilliant in his execution of that. But then to have done all that zaniness and then be like, no, 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 straight guy. Got it. I can be... Superhero. I got it. You know, <laughs> and then he, he just sold it. I mean, that was, yeah. But I, I I shut up again because <laughs> No, no, it's, and it's
0: it's perfect because I think this gives us a reason to. I mean, we we've already said we're we're just gonna let uh Robert Pattinson do his thing and play Batman and see what happens. But I mean, if anything, this is a, a good point to the fact that we can't in any way shape or form judge the way a an actor is going to play batman until he plays it we can't i mean you can't look at beetlejuice
3: (laughs) really kelly that's brilliant seriously like you're you're straight on the money because that's something that we've been dealing with this whole time since the announcement and this is such a perfectly pivotal moment to point back to well yeah nice
0: (laughs) yeah no he and i mean i'm I have more confidence somehow in Robert Pattinson now that it's like, yeah, I mean, this was Mr. Mom and Beetlejuice, and he did it amazingly. So there's no reason that the sulky, sparkly vampire can't just be a sulky, less sparkly bat. I mean, that's, you know, it's if anything, vampires and bats are somewhat related. And I do really like the idea of um, Michael Keaton coming back as a, a Batman Beyond sort of Bruce Wayne. Um yeah. He he just has that, that look to him, and he seems to be able to pull off that kind of suave, you know, I know what I am, but not everybody else does kind of vibe. So I, I would love that. I think that's really, really exciting. Yeah,
2: I, I think I see that meme on my newsfeed at least once a day where it says how fans really want to see a Batman Beyond live movie with Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. I forget how it's actually worded. But I, it, people would go crazy.
0: Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. It, it would be perfect. And I mean, it's you never know. We we haven't seen the Batman yet. So maybe Robert Pattinson will knock it out of the park and that we'll just have a couple of really awesome Batmans floating around. I mean, who knows? But <laughs> it, I, we shouldn't give up hope yet.
3: Plus, I love the fact that we also are, you know, hearing the consideration of, hey, so is Gustin going to pop on like Miller did on his show? Like, are we oh, going to get that? would be amazing. How smart. And and it can can I just ask, out of curiosity, which movies, storylines, characters were you thinking of, you know, just as a follow-up? Because this could be the launch pad that you could say there are infinite number of possibilities and this movie shows just how many we're touching on how many more might exist and what that means for the future of DC movies. Uh, just, just out of curiosity, because my brain sort of flipped. Like you could do everything. <laughs> you could do every World story. You could do every future, every possibility. You could see, yeah. So my brain sort of flipped. I don't know if anybody else has did. Just curious.
1: Justice League, the new frontier, please. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's uh,
0: a good one. I think I've always personally really wanted to see. Um, I mean, she. I, I think she could still do it, but Linda Carter come back as maybe a Kingdom. Oh, yeah, come
1: yeah, 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 yeah. How amazing yes.
0: would that be? <laughs> Kingdom Come, like, yes. Stunning, still. I mean, that, that, I hope I age like that. My God. So yeah. I, I think she'd make a really good Wonder Woman comeback, but you know, we'll we'll see.
2: Uh, yeah, and, 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 you know, Steve, you mentioned the whole, you know, we can't have Christopher Reeve back, but if they could somehow bring that that world into it in some way. Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know how they would do it, but that would be yeah. really cool. And it kind I of did
1: with Brandon Ralph. Yeah,
2: and I, I would love to somehow, I, I would love it if it references back, like you're saying, uh, if, if Gustin comes back, if they somehow give little hints or something for the Crisis Infinite earth that we saw in the Arrowverse, I think that would just be a cool little Easter egg as well.
1: So yeah. good.
3: Yeah. That would be smart. And and I'm really just greedy now because I remember at the end of uh, Rogue One where they have that brief little CGI play where you get to see Leia, a young Leia, but in a new scene and with this sort of like magic of... Oh God, I hope I didn't just do a spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen that movie and I'm okay with <laughs> what I just... Okay. <laughs> okay, my heart dropped for a second. I was like, did I
1: just... That really... one has been it, out it, for more than five minutes. It's okay. It's I'm you can be
3: forgiven. Okay, I feel yep. good. There was
1: just yeah, a... Moment. And
2: I think I gave big spoilers away from, for Doomsday Clock to anybody who hasn't read it
3: <laughs> over the past few weeks. So I, 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 I hear you.
1: <laughs> okay, yep. so I'm
3: not alone. Yeah. But, but you know what I mean? What if we could have just that like 32nd scene with a Christopher Reeve just glimpse just a you know a little like this was that world he's not here whatever however you want to play it i don't care but Brad yeah i mean oh man you guys are see this is why i asked that question you get me more excited i have more fun i <laughs> Ah, uh, Kelly, you're the one in charge. Take control. Leave it. <laughs> there's
1: so much that they could do. Have you guys seen that Mark Ruffalo series? Um, there's one thing I know is true, where he plays twin brothers, and it was literally filmed over the space of years. We played one of the brothers, and then he lost a ton of weight to play the other, or vice versa. But the joins are – you can't see a thing. There's two of him on screen at several moments hugging himself, walking past himself, and it's flawless.
3: The like you said, just like getting with better, carrie better.
1: Fisher, yeah <laughs> oh it's incredible what they do with carrie fisher not just in rogue one but with training with the lightsaber with a young luke in uh, rise yeah. of skywalker um mm. they can do it and brandon routh has touched on the fact that he actually is because in crisis he says yeah i once fought myself in a junkyard which is superman three right. <laughs> so if they could have some reference and Maybe they can do it with CGI. They can put Christopher Reeve back. And there's bound to be some cutting room floor stuff from these movies that hasn't seen the light of day as yet. That needs to happen. Because, again, just as much as Batman uh, and Batman Returns, Christopher Reeve's Superman set the ball rolling. We would not have the films we have today without that man. So, Brad, yeah, I'm totally with you. They have to do something. Have to.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we can hope. These are all good ideas. If anyone from DC listening, I mean, these are, you know, we, we give our contact info at the end of the show if you want anyone to elaborate on any of
1: this. Yeah, I'll take a job on my rates. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's move on into TV and streaming news. We only have one story, but it is a really exciting story. Um, Lucifer season five has a release date of August 21st. And we have official confirmation that we are going to be seeing season six. Brad, what did you think?
2: I'm surprised that it took this long to get that confirmation for season six. Um, You know, a a few weeks back, we talked uh, when uh, he signed, you know, he he signed a new contract. So um, this certainly was not not surprising. And um you know, I, and I'm glad we're getting that release date. It just makes me realize that I've got to catch up on this show. So I may have to jump in on that so that I can get caught up before August 21st because I know that I've I've missed a lot. And I, and I, do, I do enjoy the show. So, uh, I, you know, I just wonder. They say we promise it's the final season. But if they manage to make a really good sixth season and the fans still love it because they just can't seem to let it go, if they will possibly continue it.
3: Seth, what do you think? I wondered the exact same thing, Brad. I was like, you know, they they said when it's canceled, then we're running it for this long, and then it's done. Okay, last season was it. Okay, this season's it. And you're like, yeah, about that. I'm going to not hold my breath. (laughs) But it's for all the best reasons, because you can just keep hoping that – if something's great, you continue to give it all the love that you have and, and watch it continue to be great. And then when it can't be what you or others want it to be anymore, you, you walk away. And it's, it's kind of like that pro athlete thing, right? Like they always want to retire the champ or on top or at the best part of their career. It's like you never want to see the skills going away. You never want to see, like, the magic's missing. So I, I love the fact that there's that feeling of, like, okay, we can't keep doing this. At some point, we're going to do it, and it's going to blow up in our faces. But this time, okay, we'll do one more. We'll say this is the last one. Whether or not it holds true, uh, that's probably going to make for some really good speculative discussion as we get further down. And, Brad, I'm with you. I need to get on board uh, every once in a while, there's just a show where I'm like, hey, we should watch this. My wife's like, yeah. I'm like, hey, every time I bring it up, you don't seem to want to. At some point, I just have to pull the trigger and do it myself. Whether that ends up being the case with this, I will be catching up one way or another. And I'm looking forward to the fact that there are six great seasons to sink into, enjoy, and maybe that won't be the end of the road. How about you, Steve?
1: This has to be the first time I can remember. When we're going into a season of a show, knowing for sure that there's going to be another season coming afterwards, I mean, that's some kind of magic for me. I mean, I remember being really upset when it got cancelled the first time at the end of season three. And then Netflix stepped in due to fan response and made the best season of the show today. They said there was definitely going to be a season five. And then before season five even finished rolling, they confirmed a season six. Now Tom Ellis has signed. It's definitely happening. We're getting season five in just a few short weeks' time. This is a great time to be a Lucifer fan. And hey, if, like Brad said, the fans say, no, season six has been awesome, you can't let it end, and they bring a seven, brilliant. But even if they don't, even if season six is the end, if they go out on a high, that's all I can ask for. And we've still got three full seasons of the show after it was cancelled the first time um this show will not die this show will live on forever and six seasons there's a lot more than the one season firefly got so i'm just gonna take it as a massive positive we're gonna get more lucifer he's a sexy devil and we're gonna love it kelly what did you make of the story oh
0: firefly that 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 hurt <laughs> um, but yeah this this is fantastic um it is really it, Perplexing to think, are we really only going to have six seasons? Or because this show seems to just come back to life over and over again, and and that's a great thing because clearly there's a really strong fan response. Um, and and it is a really interesting, really well done show. I, like Brad and Seth, also have to catch up, but from what I've seen so far, I really really enjoy it. So it's exciting that we're getting season six, that that's fully confirmed. Um, that we're a couple weeks out from season five. And who knows? I mean, if this goes well, maybe there will be a season seven or a season eight. And hopefully it it doesn't turn into one of those things where, you know, you just you kind of keep on retiring until you literally can't do it anymore. Like maybe this won't be a Rocky, but in any case, this is really, really exciting. So that wraps up both our movie and TV and streaming news. We are going to take a quick ad break and then we will be back with comic book news.
3: This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about The Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where The Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us. Right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First...
1: There was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came... The Spinner Rack. And now... The third show brought to you by... The guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating... Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode... Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the knight.
3: My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one.
1: Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966.
0: Oh, look, go And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and battle me, Nods. I definitely do not f*** that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis.
2: Humans make good fertilizer.
0: You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake, I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers.
1: Mmm. Educational and informative.
0: Hello, everybody. This is Kelly Gaines for the DC Comics News podcast, episode number 76. And I am here with my wonderful co-hosts, Brad Filicke, Seth Singleton, and Steve J. Ray. We are just about to move into comic book news, starting with a, a, I I guess, perplexing story. Um, DC's digital first expansion could possibly be foreshadowing even more Uh, elaborate or or permanent changes um brad what did you think
2: oh man uh I, i i hope they don't go too digital um i i just personally i just don't like the the experience of reading digital comics i much prefer the regular maybe i'm old school i don't know um but I think one way one cool way to utilize it is marketing like maybe they put up like a, a mini story that's leading into something bigger in one of the other books something like that that would be kind of cool to you know to go in and, and read that real quick but I I hope they they kind of pull away from this digital only thing I don't you know I I could be way off base with how a lot of fans feel. Maybe there are a lot of fans out there who do read digital only. uh, But just for me personally, it's not my, it's not my cup of tea. So this kind of bumps me out. Uh, Seth, what do you think?
3: Kelly, I'm glad that you struggled when introducing this story because it made me feel better about the fact that I was going to struggle on how I respond to it. And that, that was pretty comforting because I was like, OK, I'm not the only one who's like, I don't know how to really process this, take this, you know, where to go with it, because so much of it focuses on the fact that it's like a, it's a deep dive. It's like this. You know, when you you read what someone says, then you do the read between the lines, and then you start, like, making these little trails. But, no, and it's, it looks like one of those grammar exercises they made you do on the blackboard or on the whiteboard when you were a kid in school. Anybody else with me on this? It feels like there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of consideration. And I think it's important that they're pointing to everything that's being said by DC and using that as the basis. But then the directions they're going – it's hard to just say, sure, I agree with you a hundred percent, but I do recognize that there is this, it's almost like a tidal shift. Like when you're out in the water and the current sort of moves a little bit and you realize that it's not as easy to perceive either from looking above or from the surface, but if you're in the water, you can feel the way it's pulling you differently. And I have this feeling that There might be a crux coming for comics, and I don't know how it's going to shape what's next, but there will be challenges the industry has to consider in addition to sales, in addition to how does it recycle single issues that don't sell? Or what's their process like? How do they, uh, I mean, at some point, are there any questions that are ever raised about the materials that are used or the way they're disposed or any of these other practices that can impact the the physical copy. And beyond those issues, I also feel like they're looking at the cost of what they're producing and how they can always uh, make that more efficient. And this push for digital by these, you know, examples they describe about someone coming out supposedly from like the sales office and saying, we're seeing two distinct markets. It's like, well, that's great to point out, but then not pointing out where you want to go with that or where that leaves your thinking just adds to the uncertainty. It's like, well, what does that mean? Some print or some digital followed by collected uh, print, uh, certain titles only bestsellers only still get to be single issues. And without that understanding, there's a lot of ideas presented here, but it, it, it starts to like make you worry more about all the things that could go wrong. And That's not how I want to take it, but it does also make me think that change is coming for almost every industry, not only because of how trends have been before the the pandemic, but since they've occurred and what that means as far as what's actually possible now, financially, materials wise, delivery, distribution. It's, it's, a, it's a tough read because it doesn't give you a lot of answers, it points to a lot of possibilities and all of them speak to changes that I think readers, Brad, you're, you're you're not alone with how many, and I think there are plenty, who will be affected by the idea of not having physical product the way they're used to getting access to it. And also the, the changing of the fact of who's reading books now, how they're reading them and, and all these other financial decisions. I want to see a really great future. So what I'm hoping for is the follow up articles to this that let us know what this means and what DC's doing about it. And I go back to that thing of, come on, guys, don't leave us in the murky waters. We are more confident. We can understand better, the better we are informed. And this didn't leave me with that feeling. Steve, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts as well.
1: I've seen this coming. Um, I felt the changes over the last six, seven, eight years, and the pandemic really highlighted it because we were literally in a situation for the first time in my life when we didn't know when new books were coming or if they were coming at all. And the industry seems to have bounced back. But it's raised so many questions. Now, I've got to admit, I don't really like reading digital comics either. I never have. It's convenient with going on a vacation because I don't want to take my comics with me where they can possibly get damaged or fall in a pool or whatever else. Um, but I love. Holding a paper book in my hands, turning the pages, and the social experiences we've said so many times of going to the comic book store and talking to other fans, other readers, and the people who work in these stores. And this is where my biggest problem arises. Let's be honest, as a business, DC would save a ton of money and make a ton of money if they went fully digital because. Of no more printing costs, no more distribution costs, you pay the creators, you put it online, you give the people who sell it online for you a little cut but that's it. So it's a no-brainer in a business sense but again that's a selfish way of looking at things because you've got to think about the printers, the people who get the paper, um, the manufacturers of the paper and remember while comics aren't necessarily a cheap business they're not 10 cents anymore like they were when we were kids they're like three four bucks a pop at least it's paper this isn't an industry that's really damaging the environment and every single comic book if you find ten you you're often you're not a comic book fan you can sell them or you can recycle them this isn't like vhs tapes this isn't like uh, petroleum or plastics of action figures this is actually a fairly green um method of entertainment but you've got to think that if you go fully digital these printers, these press agents, uh, the people who make inks and the people who make the paper, the people who manufacture it, they're going to be out of a job. Every comic book store owner is going to be out of a job um, because that's what they do. And the fact that it seems that that may be a possibility upsets me. It really upsets me. i don't think it'll ever happen i think we'll always have paper comic books but when you're put in a position that a ton of stories now are not going to see their end in paper form they're only going to be released digitally well and then maybe six months to a year later when a trade paperback that upsets me and what upsets me even more is the fact that Digital firsts are coming. So, people who do read comics digitally are going to get these stories weeks or months before people who prefer to have a physical copy. And that's literally telling everyone who buys comics in paper form listen, you're going to be behind, too bad, either get with the future or live in the past. And that's taking the choice out of readers' hands. And that's the part I really object to. Um, Either way, I love comic books if they end up going fully digitally then I'll probably go fully digital and my wife will probably thank me for it because I won't be bringing piles of books into the house every few weeks but that's not the way comics were meant to be read that's not the way they always have been and it's ripping a huge part of history culture and sentiment away from millions and millions of people around the world so yeah it's a tricky one And I think
2: that, sorry, sorry, I think that there has to be something said uh, for the community and camaraderie that the comic shop has and the physical comics bring to it. Uh, All of us here on the podcast and most everybody listening to this podcast love going to their comic shop. They have people they know there. uh, They have, you know, uh, it's a community. And you go digital only, that's just going to break that community apart. And that you might have a harder time getting uh, fans to be fans for life. We've all been fans because we picked up comics when we were kids, yeah, and true. you know, you if you don't have that, that's that's a hard, you know, it, 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 it'll be harder to get that bond to them. I think, and I think that. You know, if you talk finances, I think in the long run, that'll hurt DC pretty bad as well. Um, yeah, I, I I just don't see it ending well. Not only that, but there's a whole community around the, you know, the secondary collecting market, too. If you go to a Comic-Con, there's people going through back issues, back issues, and talking to the salesmen, getting connections that way. and And eventually, that would go away, and that's just that's just a big part of the comic book experience I think
0: yeah I agree I I don't think you can um I I mean it just it would destroy the comic book community if there weren't physical copies and I mean on top of that it's just like you guys were saying going to the comic book store picking up a book talking to whoever's there that's a huge part of being a comic book reader um and yeah, like you guys, I'm not a huge fan of the the digital copies. I think the only time I think I've really reached for um, digital releases is if I've just finished something that I was reading on back issue and I know the other issues is already out, but I can't get to the store because it's 430 in the morning. That's something I've done before. Um, or even actually, I, I started reading, um, what was it, Odyssey of the Amazons on DC Universe and then was like, huh, I'm really enjoying this. I'm just going to order, you know, order the trade paperback. So I did that instead. But it's because there's just a difference between reading something on a screen and holding it in your hands and reading it. On top of the fact that, yeah, it just I don't like the idea that it kind of forces all of us who do want print books to be behind. Um, You know, because if we're looking at something that's a really exciting release and you want to be one of the for and part another huge, honestly, probably one of the biggest parts of being a comic book fan is exactly what we're able to do on the podcast and through social media and through, um, you know, through our group chats and everything. When something exciting is happening, everybody talks about it, it becomes this big, kind of expansive discourse that everyone who reads the book is involved in. So, if there's half the fans getting to read stuff in November and the other half can't see it till April, that's a problem. That's going to cause some, I mean, possibly even just a loss of fans. Because I i can say that there are a couple of books that I've downloaded that I've never read, just because I kind of forget about it. You know, it's its somewhere in my computer or in my Amazon account or my Comixology app. And I'll go back to it eventually. But the the books that are actually sitting stacked up on my shelf, I'm like, okay, that one today. You know, its it's a very... It, it's a slippery slope because we did see the need for, a, you know, a little bit of digital leeway with the pandemic. But at the same time, I I don't know, I, I think it's taking part of the heart out of the comic book industry if we lose those actual physical copies. And actually going off of that, um, one of the things that is coming out digital first is the Harley Quinn Black, White, and Red books. So we have one release date for the digital a different release date for the for the actual print book um I mean Brad what did you think is this does this give you any sort of extra push to try the digital copy or how do you feel not to be
2: honest probably not um thinking like I, I look at this and I'm thinking man I would love to read that as a trade but that's that's another way how I read a lot of comics anyways i i do prefer the trade so that's that's completely and i know that that i'm definitely in the minority minority when it comes to that but this this some of these some stories are presented in a way that i like that i think that i would like to read them at once they're collected and i think something strikes me about this that i'd like to read it after uh it's collected so i may i may wait a little bit on this one uh, seth what'd you think
3: well, I, I think this story actually sort of highlights one of the things I see happening, which is that there will be this feeling of like two camps now. You know, you're going to be the people that want the digital first. They're the same way with the movies. They're, you know what I mean? The idea of holding something in the hands doesn't. But this would be something I'd want to collect. I uh, I really loved, oh God, I, I'm, this is one of those names I'm going to butcher. Um. And now I can't even find the part in the story where it says the guy's name that this follows up. But, Stepan anyways, Sejic. yes, thank you, Stepan Sejic. Uh I collected all of those physical copies of his Harleen, and they're gorgeous to behold. There's a reason why I get certain books like that, like Undiscovered Country, like uh, uh, Who's the One That's Really, You Know, Last God from DC, which is just like this beautiful painted you know tapestry oh, through every right and you hold it and so that's the thing where i think brad like you i'll i'll sit and wait i've got a couple of beautiful books that have been recommended to me by the shop that i'll i'll get as a trade because i miss the boat and i'm good with that I, I don't need to collect more single issues i i get myself in trouble every time i'm like but it's only a five to six issue run how bad can things get and then later I, I see my tally at the register and I kick myself because those things always add up. It's just the way it is. And uh, and with some of them you're like, Oh right, it was double price. Oh god, I wasn't thinking, was I? I'm adorable. So with this one, I'm gonna wait because I know what I've already enjoyed from you know, the physical works they've offered and and knowing what, you know, the artist was doing in the one. I'm gonna wanna see that same thing in the trade. I'm And I see this almost being like this weird, like, you know, at some point when they started having streaming music, there were people who still had CDs or bought CDs. And then there were people who pushed back even further to cassettes or vinyl. There's this going to be this divide. And I feel like there's this kind of impression from DC, like we can live with that. We actually have numbers that say that how we approach that is going to work to our benefit in some way. And it's frustrating because it, It worries me about the way that I feel like not only can it effectively destroy the community, as was mentioned so well, but I also feel like there's a concern that it can divide a community, too. You know, like suddenly now you've got two camps. You know, Kelly, you were talking so perfectly about the digital discussion, the the in-the-moment instant gratification about knowing something and talking about it. And then the other part that's going to say it's worth talking about after you can hold it you know, and what that value means. Um, so this highlights this concern, I think, perfectly. And I, I love the way that it's part of this story that uh, illustrates so many of the concerns we're talking about. Steve, my friend, tell me your thoughts.
1: Much the same. I agree with each and every one of you. It's it's an odd situation. I mean, I've read the uh, Harleen red story because obviously the press release... Um, that DC sends us. Um, I got to read the story, in it, and it's great. It's a fantastic follow-up to Harleen. But again, it just annoys me that digital readers are going to get this, and then the people who want the physical book have to wait. But listen, at the end of the day, we are very privileged. As writers for DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, we get every single DC book a week or more before it comes out so we can read it and review it. But that still to me is like you both all, all, all said that that's almost more of a taster because all the books that I've collected for years and years and years and all the new stuff that I read and I love I will then either add to my pull list and collect every two weeks or every month whenever they come out or grab the trade for when that comes out and slowly but surely over the last few years especially um, with 10,000 comic collection and space running out, and a wife who's going to assassinate me before too long if it continues, I've been moving towards the trades. And she's actually keen on me to switching to digital completely. But there's something that's lost. There's that whole tactile magic of holding a comic. And I love reading the previews, writing my reviews, and then going out and getting the real thing. Because like you said, Seth, when you've got that physical book, you can – open it up and look in detail especially with painted art with with a more delicate art with something that's really really well drawn and well colored and and look into the depths and minutiae of it which I'm sorry no matter how much you zoom it on a digital screen it isn't the same so Harleen was a brilliant series I wish the sequel would come out the same way but no we've got to have to wait for Seven inch miniseries or a trade payback somewhere down the line, and that's just a shame. Where again, it's taking away choice and it's forcing readers to go down one road they might not necessarily want to. And like you said as well, Seth, it's making a divide, it's going to make some comics fans possibly feel superior to others because they're getting the stuff first, and other traditional comic fans say, Listen, yeah, but you're not getting the full experience because you're weakening it on, on a screen full of pixels rather than on paper so it's a tricky one it's an annoying one but for me uh comics are paper first and I think they always will be what about you Kelly
0: yeah um I mean I basically just have to echo you guys I am apprehensive about the divide I think you know we we've we there are other divisions in in the comic book fandom that I think slowly but surely we've kind of you know overcome and it's really it really is such a a fun and exciting fandom to be a part of from going to the stores to being at conventions um yeah I just I don't like the idea that this kind of difference will happen and I think you know Steve going off what you were saying part of the fun of even collecting comics for me has been not even not getting them online, but actually going into the store and walking up and down the aisles and looking at, you know, when, when new releases come out, that's sort of how I pick what books I get is just walking up and down and seeing okay, that looks good. That looks good. I hadn't heard of that, but that looks good. And, you know, getting to purchase books that way. And I can honestly say throughout this pan- pandemic that going online that's one of the biggest things that I've missed because I'll get onto a website for a store and be like okay so I have to scroll through 18 pages to really browse and then once I find yep. something I want to add to my cart I got to go back and start browsing again <laughs> like it's just not it, it's not, not the same experience it's not a fun experience and it kind of takes away a part of the community so I think as far as this Harley Quinn book goes I'm more than likely going to be waiting for the trade um which again, it you know, it sucks that it puts us a little bit behind, and um, yeah, I mean, we we're fortunate to have the advanced review copies, but it it is really just kind of a bummer for fans who don't necessarily have an ac- have access to that. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. We are still going off of speculation that it's necessarily going to be digital only, but it's you know well founded speculation. So, I guess we're gonna have to see, but my hope would be that DC understands a little bit better what their fans actually want. Um, yeah. So I guess that, that one's just something we're going to have to keep our fingers crossed about. So moving on into another little interesting bit of comic book news, um, DC's event Leviathan checkmate is rescheduled indefinitely or postponed indefinitely. Um, and I, I suppose it's to line up a little bit closer with some of the upcoming storylines. But Brad, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I think this is kind of a casualty of COVID and everything having to be pushed back. I think DC right now is just trying to line up editorially with what the sto- you know the storylines going forward. So uh, it is. Opti- I am optimistic that we will get to see the series at some point. We're just going to have to wait a little bit. And, you know, the stories that DC is telling now, it'll probably be worth the wait. Uh, Seth, what'd you think?
3: Yeah, immediate casualty for starters. (laughs) It's just like, okay, this is one of those things that happens when you have a timeline and that timeline gets adversely affected. Uh, How much more it'll be impacted, I'm curious about. I'm always hesitant when I hear the indefinitely because it's such a foreboding word. And then – but the immediate follow-up is such a twist because you're like, oh, so it will be rescheduled, but it's postponed indefinitely. Have you ever heard of the phrase an oxymoron? Okay, because right now I'm feeling a conflict, a paradox. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to ask who's – Who's wagging who? Is the dog wagging the tail? Is the tail wagging the dog? Are you two communicating? Because I get the feeling that this was drafted by two different parts of a staff who said, "Eh, we'll figure it out later, and then issued. So (laughs) I want to feel differently, but right now there's a part of me that goes how much do you secretly want to whisper to us? We don't know what we're doing yet. We'll get back to you. I don't know how true that might be, but Steve, I always know I want to hear your thoughts, man.
1: I agree with you. One hundred percent. Whoever made these announcements is both an ox and a moron to paraphrase Sylvester Stallone. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, what the hell? Ah, dear Lord. Um, the fact that this series had me a little bit excited, so I quite enjoyed the last one. But <sighs> Green Arrow hasn't had his own book for what, coming up to two years now, and the fact that he was going to be teaming up with Lois Slane and with The Question just got me jumping up and down for joy. I thought, yay, three of my favourite characters, especially coming out of the amazing Lois Slane Limited series, and now um, it might not be happening at all. Cool. Yeah, thanks for that. Yep, box and moron. Absolutely spot on, Seth. Kelly, what did you make of it all? Yeah,
0: you know, I think if a couple were to say that their wedding was being postponed indefinitely, that would give you a good idea of how to take something like this. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's right. A, I, exactly, because it's such a, a tease of information. It's like, well, it's postponed indefinitely, but we're rescheduling it, but we don't know for when. So maybe we aren't. It's I I think if I were to send an email like this at work, I I would be fired because it's just like this is the most cluster of non-information I've ever seen. And and it does sound like a really cool book. Um Yeah, I I don't know. I just I mean, obviously schedules are going to change around after the pandemic. Um and release dates being pushed back falls into other release dates. All of that makes perfect sense. But it, it, rescheduled and indefinitely postponed mean very different things. So I, I would love to hear what the next story about this is. What the I I mean, is it rescheduled or is it indefinitely just not happening?
3: I don't know. We've come to a final decision. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel like. The next thing is, we know there's been a lot of uncertainty. We've come to a final decision, maybe.
1: (laughs) I'm absolutely, positively sure that I don't know what's happening next.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Go with either of those, Frank. Just type it up.
0: (laughs) Oh God. Well, I mean, it. Yeah, I I have no positive spin to put on this. Besides, I hope. (laughs) I hope the next thing that comes out. At least pushes us a little bit further in one direction or the other, or has clearer wording. And we, so our next piece of news, also a bit of not necessarily rescheduling, but a wrong initially released release date that has been corrected. Um, Sean Murphy's Batman White Knight Harley Quinn spinoff is going to come out in October. Brad, what do you think?
2: Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the series. Uh, the White Knight books have been so good so far. So I don't think that I have to worry about it being a bad book. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, Reading the kind of the synopsis of the series, uh, it'll be an interesting take on Harley Quinn having her being the mother of twins. Uh, So that should be that should be interesting. Uh, Seth, what do you think?
3: I agree. I love this take on on Harley, you know, and and how she's coping with Gotham as it adjusts to all the events that have occurred so far in the White Knight series. What I am really intrigued by also is the producer. I love the idea of this original character and this concept of, you know, Starlet and some other fun ideas that are coming out of it. And what these, uh, you know, gatherings of colorful characters might be that they allude to this This sounds like a really great direction that you can have such a, wow, I mean, hugely eventful series up to this point and then look at an element that comes after and then develop this great story. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I also love these ideas now of Batman being in prison and being like a mentor and how she has to take on the role of teaming up with someone while, you know, trying to investigate what's going on and and what that process will look like. It's also hopefully going to expose some of those things that maybe get passed over in the details when you're telling such a big story like they've been so far, but through an investigative one can also kind of highlight like what happens after a big event, how people are affected positively, adversely, what the new world is starting to look like, because that's something we're all considering now. Like, what's our new world going to look like when this period that we're going through is over? Uh, it, it seems like a really great story. I just love the fact that it, it's being talked about now because it was like, whoops, that, that's not supposed to be up there. Sorry. <laughs> Steve, what would you take, my friend?
1: I, again, totally adored what Sean Gordon Murphy's done. With his Murphy verse, with his White Knight universe. I mean, both series just, just blew me away. The way he has created an Elseworlds um, tale, but rather than be, be a one shot or a small limited series, he, he's created a whole universe. His world building here has been absolutely phenomenal. And his inner geek has just flown its flag proudly. Everything from bringing it back a Azrael to the 89 Batmobile which can also fly what the hell that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life oh man two Harley Quinns uh, one who went took over from the original and that proves that the Joker never loved her in the first place Um, the fact she's had Joker's twins the fighting psyches of Jack Napier and the Joker Batman giving away secret identity, looking himself up, all his sidekicks being part of a GCPD task force, awesome, just absolutely brilliant. And when he announced halfway through Curse of the White Knight, the second series, that um, DC are letting him have his own spin-offs, one-shots, one-shots and mini-series, when this solicit came out, and I thought, whoa what the hell did this come from this is crazy and i saw it on an italian website believe it or not before i saw it anywhere else a couple of days ago i thought hang on this this isn't right dc haven't mentioned anything else like where the hell's our press release hello clark hello um and there it was and the fact that <laughs> oh clark, that sh- oh, clark. <laughs> he should f- take off his glasses and fly into the sunset no um the fact this was announced and it was a complete balls up it shouldn't have been announced in the first place it's not coming till october i thought oh man talk about throw the hook and and drag me in like a guppy i couldn't believe it i thought no october okay i'll wait as long as it's not a digital first grumble mumble moan um so yeah i'm really looking forward to this one the white knight universe has been an absolute revelation and the fact that sean's writing it with his wife Brilliant, fantastic! Another female writer added to the list, and if she can add um, other semblances of Harley Quinn that we haven't seen yet, all the better. Mama Harley and the twins. Oh, this is going to be great! I can't wait. What did you make of it, Kelly?
0: Yeah, again, hive mind. I just have to echo you guys because this is, I I do love the White Knight universe, and yeah, Harley Quinn, mother of twins. Figuring out Gotham in, I mean, yeah, everything about this is a, yeah. And it does really suck that it was, you know, initially put out as a, I think, July 3rd or something released. And now it's October. But, I mean, at least this is, we don't know that it won't change, but at least this is something we supposedly know we can look forward to. This isn't indefinitely rescheduled to possibly come out in October. This is, no, sorry, our bad October. Which I'm fine with. That that is perfectly okay. Um, yeah, everything about this story is really exciting. And Steve, I have to agree. As long as it's not digital first, right. I am happy. That that's my one stipulation. If it's digital first, I might I wait. I don't know. We'll see where how I feel and where I am at that point in October. But yeah, this is this is a really interesting and complex story so I'm, I'm excited to see the direction that they take harley quinn in and a husband and wife team writing a character like harley quinn is also really re- i mean i know um amanda connor and john Palmiotti did uh oh goodness i can't remember when they started working on harley quinn but still there's still so little bit of-
1: much cool stuff
0: Right, like they're they are really really strong husband and wife teams. So now that I'm thinking about that, it's I, it's not that a husband and wife haven't worked on Harley Quinn before, but to see them both writing and both kind of putting that spin on things will be really really interesting. So I'm excited. And the next piece of news, I think I I don't know, but I think you guys might be even more excited for. We've now seen six <laughs> of the um six of the Batman three Joker's variant covers guys what did you think brad do you love them do you not yeah
2: i i thought they uh were really cool Uh, i like how uh even though there's different jokers the way it's presented there it's like the the themes that he brings up in in each drawing is is really cool and this is just one of those things that gets me more excited for this i've been i mentioned this before as well but I've, i've been waiting for this book since New York comic-con a few years ago when uh Jeff Johns was that was that last year it might have been last year the year before uh but he in part of his panel he he talked pretty extensively about it and it's it's going to be good so I just I can't wait to get this book uh, into my hands uh Seth what do you think
3: this is one of those ones where I remember I I was sort of adjusting to the fact that now I'm doing all this ordering for books online for my local shop and how they were trying to manage everything. And at one point I was like, yeah, and, um, stuff's happening. Green Lantern, just get me the 80th, get me this. Oh yeah. Three jokers. And they're like, going to be a while, buddy, but you're okay. We've got you on the, <laughs> I was like, okay. Cause I know this is coming. We've been talking for a while and these covers are a beautiful tease. The first one with the, the red mask, the, the helmet only halfway up, the smile exposed with the menacing teeth, the fish, which was just, I mean, especially after we had that recent reprint, which was just gorgeous and so much fun. And then that last one with the hat and the gleam in the eye and the camera, that menacing reminder of what Killing Joke did. Yeah, I, I love the fact, Brad, that these were so recognizable that they captured so many timeless moments. And they're they're stunning. The, the saddest part is, what do I have to do in order to come up with the money to get potentially all six? And how will I feel about myself afterwards? Probably OK, because I've, I've avoided the degrading stuff so far. But the more covers they keep coming out with, it's like the line gets closer and closer. Like, um, I'm I'm, selling blood. I don't I don't I don't know. Somebody give me some better options because it, it could get there. Steve, how many covers are you picking?
1: Oh, dude, you so called it. This three-issue miniseries has quickly become a nine or ten-issue miniseries because those covers rock. Damn, they're good. Every aspect of Joker, from him putting the makeup on, like Jack Nicholson in Batman 89, to the monocle from Death in the Family when he became a, a, a uh, ambassador for Iran, and the Jokerfish. Oh, those Jokerfish memories of childhood. Every aspect what doomsday clock was to watchman it feels like um three jokers is going to be to killing joke this is clearly jeff johns um revisiting the era defining stories that he loved as a teen or, or, or person in his early 20s the same kind of age i was and bringing them smack up to date but without pastiching or being cliched, but by honestly honouring them and loving them and trying to build on them. And the fact that, Brad, it was two years ago, brother, it wasn't last year, it was two years ago, he started teasing three jokers before even the New 52 launched. This was during the Dark Side War. So this book has been a long damn time coming. And when you get Jason Fabok on the art doing... Bolland doing Neil Adams, doing uh, Marshall Rogers, but in his own Jason Fabok style way as well. This book's going to be every bit as gorgeous to look at as it is to read. And those covers, like you said, Seth, this isn't just three comics anymore. This is going to be uh, probably a dozen. It's going to be my next Doomsday Clock. What the actual hell? Um, let me sell my entire furniture, TV, hi-fi, and let's read comics all day, every day. Hey, actually, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. I could do that. Kelly, <laughs> uh, what did you make of it before? <laughs>
0: this is going to be a ridiculously expensive series because not only do I want an of the covers we saw the red hood one, that first one is probably my favorite. Although the killing joke one has to Magic. be right. Mm. Like I, I looked at that and I, th- I kind of got chills for a second because it's actually scary looking. It's like, Oh, okay. This is not the Joker I want to see at my door, but considering I'm going to get all of these different variants, all three issues. And then on top of that, because I have my, my comic book cover wall, I actually need two copies of all the variants because half of them have to go up on the wall. So that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, this, this is just going to be really, really fun, really exciting and really terrible for my bank account. But I mean, these covers are gorgeous. And again, this is a book that we've been looking forward to for, I mean, at, at least two years, but probably more if, if anyone was really paying attention. And I, yeah. This this is going to be exciting. Um, I will say that that fish terrified me for a second there. <laughs> I think that was the second or the third picture in and it was kind of like, oh, OK. Like, it, but that's the fun of it is every single one of these covers just scrolling through this uh, through the, the slideshow. Every single one had a different emotional reaction because it's the Joker and because it's so beautifully and realistically done. Um, so I'm excited about these covers. I'm excited about the book. And yeah, hopefully no delays there. So our next piece of comic book news, also very exciting. Um, the Big Bang Star, I hope I pronounce this right. Mayam Balak is going to curate a a book of flashbacks for DC, and this is going to be for young readers interested in STEM fields. Um, and it's going to be different science questions answered by the DC heroes and within the DC universe. Brad, what did you think?
2: I think this is really cool. I'm not not only are kids gonna learn something to by reading it but it might give them exposure to characters and have them pick up a comic so I really like um, how DC is going out of their way to try to get their characters to appeal to such a wide range of ages and I think it's yeah I think it's just it's really it's really cool if I had kids I would definitely buy them this book
3: uh, Seth what do you think I absolutely love this I will potentially get this I will not admit when I do that I did no I will I will proudly I'm you know a unabashed flash fan and I love this kind of stuff i I remember I was really lucky I got to work on a, a strategy with this company that was developing a series of Uh, graphic novels for kids, and they were kind of shooting around like end of fifth grade into junior high. It was about coding. And when we were talking about ideas, flashbacks was one of those examples I used where I was like, yeah, you could drop in these tidbits, these information, you know, nuggets about different things that kids will find interesting or fun about coding, early computers, things like that. So when I was reading this story, I was like, ah, way to take it that extra step, way to take flashbacks. Mix them with all of these great science facts. Have a great scientist like Barry Allen and then, you know, a great cast of characters in stories that illustrate all of these examples and how through those stories you can just kind of have Flash popping up with. Flash fact. Did you know when it comes to science that if you blend these two chemicals together, the following reaction? I mean – so much to love, and Brad, as you pointed out, a chance to get exposure to other characters they might not be aware of, who, who don't exist among the immediate you know uh, faces they picture when they hear superheroes. Um, also the fact that it's such a fun way to learn about science. This stuff hooked me when I was a kid. I mean, Slim Goodbody, I was such a sucker for that. I was like, you can see every organ on that guy. What is, this is crazy. <laughs> I learned stuff too. Don't get me wrong. The hair was a bit much and I used to tease him a bit. But otherwise, I I, I had fun and I learned, which is like the ultimate secret in childhood. It's got to be, you know, fun enough that you don't feel like you're actually learning or you you don't try and mix that with the fun. But it happens. And these things that you get, they stick with you just because of the, the, the methodology used to tell. I think this is so wonderful. I can't wait to tell my sister about it so she can share it with her kids, who I am so proud as their uncle that at least the girls so far have been picking up different uh, DC characters that they love. And recently, the youngest one, Evan, Evan, if you ever hear this, I'm shouting you out because little nephew, um, man, I, I saw he had a Justice League book. It was an old one. I was rooting and cheering. I see the future. And this is a great way to You know, build in that passion and excitement with some really fun science facts. Steve, how about you, my
1: friend? Oh, learning science and educating children through comic book characters in a book curated by a real life PhD, star of the Big Bang Theory. My blossom has come a long way over the years, hasn't she? This is just the coolest thing ever. Dr. Amy Farrah Fowler is curating a book about the flash all we need now is a full word by Sheldon Cooper and I'll die a happy man, this is just the best thing ever, flash facts that whole thing, the memories it brings back about flashcards and learning stuff about science and little snippets of information that are, I found very easy ways to learn stuff rather than pouring through books and doing research for exams or whatever, I, I literally do like little flash facts, little flashcards that would stick in the head, you see it you remember it and, and, and stuff like that And to put it in a book with a brilliant person like that behind it, that's going to bring in TV fans, comic book fans, kids of all ages to learn more in an entertaining and fun way. Whichever way you look at it, this is genius. I'm so glad that I've got nieces and nephews that I can go to comic shops with and I can buy these books and pretend it's for them. Kelly, would you make of this story?
0: Yeah, this is a fantastic idea. Um, and and like you, Steve, I, I think I learned a majority of what I actually learned in grade school and middle school from flashcards. That seemed to be the way that it, it that is how the world spoke to me, apparently. Um, and, and this is such a fantastic way to get kids reading comics, excited about different superheroes and learning at the same time. Um, yeah, this, this is really exciting and really fun. And I mean, I, I don't want to get back on the, is this going to be digital or not train, but that's another question. Because I, I mean, DC's done such a brilliant job of getting kids excited about comics and getting kids reading comics. But then, I mean, a parent's a lot more, I, I would think is a lot more likely to hand their kid a, a book than maybe a, an iPad or something. So that's something else to consider is what, what will kids prefer to read? But as far as this, this is a really exciting release. Um, I have have a little nephew who is not quite old enough to read or write or talk or speak yet. But I assume at some point I'll be picking up this or something like this for him. Um, So, yeah, this is really, really exciting. So our last bit of news is kind of a rumor, but a really interestingly acquired rumor. Um, Rocksteady is reportedly working on a Suicide Squad video game. And we know this through different domain names that have been registered. Um, Brad, what did you make of this?
2: Oh, this makes me so excited. Uh, I loved the, the Arkham games. They're some of my favorite video games of all time. And the fact that the studio behind those games is getting ready to give us some news on a new game is just so amazing. And the fact that it's a suicide, suicide squad game, there's so much they can do with it. Uh, But the, you know, these, these domains that they registered are interesting. Uh, Especially the suicide squad, kill the justice league.com. What could that possibly be about? Uh, (laughs) And Gotham nights game.com. That, that, makes me think that what we are actually going to get is a Batman game where he has to take on the suicide squad after they do something with the justice league and that's just my theory at this point so i would not be surprised if this is a batman game where he takes on the suicide squad but i rocksteady is one of my favorite game studios so anything That they want to tell me, I'm willing to listen to, and you know, I, I I can't wait to know more about this. And the article also mentions that that they might release something during the uh, fandom event in August. So, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, Seth, what do you think?
3: You covered all the key points for me, Brad. I mean, really, I the domain names that were registered really stuck with me. Suicide Squad killed the Justice League, or kill Justice League. I was like. That could be a really dementedly fun game. (laughs) Um, Can you imagine being players from Suicide Squad being like, dude, I am taking down Superman. I am just going to punk him or, you know, whoever it is that you're facing off. That could be just like that fun sort of thing. I I always love that with games where you're like, Sure. This time around, I can be the good guy, you know, or when they did the Star Wars and they were like, pick your side. Do you want to be for the, you know, the good side of the force or the dark side? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love the fact that you can, you know, be sort of the villain in here. I'm intrigued about what you said about the Bat- Batman game, because the Gotham Knights, it seemed like they were referencing that some long awaited game that's never actually ever come to fruition. But now there's the possibility that you're you know, describing with how they could use the momentum from the uh, Suicide Squad game to then build into uh, a follow up game. I I love that idea and how they could maybe re uh, provide this title with a resurgence through that direction. So all stuff I didn't even consider beyond the registered domain name of Suicide Squad Kill Justice League. I'm still fixated on that. Like I'm like, wow, how to signal one's intention directly, Steve.
1: This is a game I know for an absolute fact that my son will be picking up because he devoured the Arkham games. He absolutely adores them. When we record I Am the Night on a weekly basis, he frequently brings, brings up the characterizations and the character designs for some of the characters from those games. And That's when good. he sees this piece in news oh, Scarecrow, absolutely. The best
2: Scarecrow design in the history By
1: none. of comics. Bar none. Yeah. Totally. And and the Mr. Freeze they use, which is both brand new and a complete tribute to Michael Ansara from the animated series. It's just that those games were phenomenal. I mean, I'm not a video game player, but I sometimes would come down, see him playing and just get engrossed in the way Batman moved, the way he fought, the villains, the storylines, the whole fact Jason Todd being Arkham Knight and the Batmobile sequences. Damn, I mean this this game was a whole universe on your TV, and if they expand that, because I agree with Brad, looking at these domain names and they registered and the story ideas, this could literally be the latest Arkham game wrapped up with the Justice League and the Suicide Squad and all those characters as well. Can you imagine? Um, the cityscapes, the, the the fun, the vehicles, the explosions, the, the madness, the insanity. Um, this sounds to be incredible. So I cannot wait to, uh, speak to Adam, to my son and tell him about this game. So I think he's going to go absolutely bananas. Kelly, what did you make of this?
0: Yeah, I, I'm not a big video game player either, but I do know these games very well um partly from watching my little brother play the arkham games when uh when they were first out and then also i think i think it was last may maybe i went to a convention with my boyfriend and we went to see um kevin conroy speak and um, my boyfriend wasn't that into it at first and then i was like yeah he he voiced batman in the arkham games and he was like oh my god the arkham games like then it then it was the coolest thing ever because they're just such well done games um and yeah, Brad, I, I think you're on to something with this, that this could be a really fun kind of zany tie-in. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. But in any case, I'm really, really excited for whatever comes out of this, because at the very least, watching these games be played, and I mean, maybe at some point I'll actually jump in and play them myself, because it's, I, you know, Steve, like you were saying, it's something that... Anytime I've walked pl- past anyone playing the Arkham games, it's just kind of like, okay, I could stop for a minute and watch. You won't and, be oh, able yeah, to. It's a scarecrow, <laughs> right? Like it's very, <laughs> yeah. it's very, very well designed.
2: Yeah, they um, will suck you in.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because I don't think there are a lot of video games that necessarily can pull you in as just a casual bystander like that. To the extent where I, I mean, I would sit and watch my brother play for hours because it's just like, huh. Yeah, that's yeah, that's how yeah. the feel looks. And yeah, so I I mean I'm excited, even if I just get to watch this as a, a secondhand person, but oh, I yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And with any luck, this will be just as dazzling as the Arkham games were. And I don't think that's really much of a concern because clearly they've they've knocked it out of the park multiple times already. Um,
2: yeah. And just thinking that it would probably be on the new consoles, too. So the open world that they create could just be absolutely massive. I mean, the, the open world in Gotham Knight was huge. So just what they could do is just, oh, I can't wait.
0: Yeah, this, this is going to be fun. And I mean, I, I think to an extent, there's at least a, a chunk of Batman fans who are most familiar with Batman and Batman's universe. Through the Arkham games, I, I think I can say that for my younger brother and a lot of his friends, that that's how they initially knew Batman. The way that I would have seen the um, the animated show or you know Batman '89 or anything like that, but their first real experience up close with Batman was through those games. So yeah, this is this is really exciting and. I mean, domain names, that is a clever way to figure out what's going on with the company. What domain names have they registered recently? That is kind of funny. So wrapping up, is there, did you guys have any last minute thoughts on the game?
2: Oh, I just thought I want to play it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Basically. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Awesome. So that has been episode number 76 of the DC Comics News podcast. And I have been your host, Kelly Gaines. If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, subscribe, comment. We'd love to hear from you guys. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google Play. And you can also find our other wonderful DC Comics News podcasts on there as well, including Harley, uh, Mad Love the Harley Quinn cast, The Spinner Rack, and I Am the Knight. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News. And guys, if they want to follow you, where can the good people find you, Brad?
2: Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews on DC Comics News. Uh, you can find me on the Mad Love uh, podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at flickyb1.
0: And Seth?
3: Yeah, let's see. You can find me Twitter is one more singleton. Uh, Seth the writer on Instagram. My dogs Bruno and Fiji, who are just tantamountly cuter than I am exactly they just really are and if you want to taste if you listen at all to me on the spinner rack you'll hear my French Bulldog Bruno snoring sometimes playing or just breathing which if you've ever encountered a French Bulldog is something that sounds a bit like a slow sawing of logs as well as uh, some sort of other air escaping thing so check all those out or just Type in my name, Seth Singleton, and, you know, see what happens.
0: And Steve?
1: As always, you can catch up with uh, all my news pieces, reviews, uh, interviews, just by doing a search on your search engine of choice and typing in the words Steve J. Ray, and I'll take you to links across both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, or we'll search for Fantastic Universes for my own website. And again, I'm on these wonderful shows with my dear friends every day single week do chat to me too on twitter at lstevo i underscore s-t-e-e-v-o i'll be waiting kelly
0: you can find me on our other podcast mad love the harley quinn cast um, you can also find me doing opinion and editorial pieces for dc comics news and i'm also on twitter at kelgaines so there is one more thing we like to say at the close of every show just a fun reminder And that is two,
3: three, more comics.
0: Have a good night, everybody.